smells Jesus-y. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We are the aroma of Christ. God has spoken in many ways, but now he's spoken by his son. Welcome to Smells Jesus-y, a podcast from Three Crosses Church. Today we have a guest speaker, Duvin Nam, who will be speaking to us from Psalm 49. God will redeem. Here's Duvin. So um, yesterday, yesterday, my family and I uh, have, have went riding. Uh, we went riding from our, our place uh, in Wilson now, and we went riding um, all the way to Shelley, not very far, and uh, we just followed the river, and um, it was great fun. One of the best things you can do, right? And as you go riding, you, you see all the other riders and the other scooters and all the people walking about, and and you see people on their kayaks, and and that's just classic. That's just classic Perth. This time of year, people are out having holidays. People are out on the foreshore picnicking, and and people are just sitting down, catching up with friends, talking. That's just that's just Perth. Perth doing what it does best. And um, there was a bunch of men I noticed at, on the Shelley foreshore playing volleyball, like you know about six aside. I was thinking, when do you actually see six? six, 12, 20 men playing volleyball in a park. Uh, that's because it's, it's, it's holidays. It's that time of year when we're all on holidays and just relaxing. And I don't know if that's you, but you might be one of the, the crowds in the sales, you know, catching, you know, trying to get one of the bargains in all the different sales. You might be gonna catch the, the latest Boxing Day releases at the movies or, um, you know, catching some waves at the beach. I don't know what you're doing, whatever it is you're doing this time of holiday year, this psalm will feel like a total gear change when you read it. It just doesn't fit into the whole relaxed holiday atmosphere of this time of year. But in the markets, wisdom calls. On the streets, she raises her voice. Amid all the noise, Amid all the busyness that God has given mankind to be busy with, she cries out. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries in the gateways of the city. She makes her speech. And if you listen to her, wisdom, she'll give you great blessing. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Verse 16, long life is in her right hand, in her left are riches and honour. Her ways, they're pleasant, her, her, her paths are paths of peace. But if you don't listen to her, if you refuse to listen to this wisdom, then the consequences are disaster. Proverbs 1.24 but since you rejected me when I called, and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I will in turn laugh at your disaster. I'll mock when calamity overtakes you, since you hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. So in the midst of all this fun and festive season, wisdom is crying out, listen. Listen up, everyone. Listen all. Turn your mobiles off. 
pay attention. I've got a message for all of you today. And it's a message for all of you, young and old. It's a message for you wherever you've come from around the world. It's a message for rich or poor, for the wise or for the simple. I've got wisdom for you today. And it's critical you get this wisdom. It's crucial you get it. So, so hear this, verse 1. Verse one. Hear, hear it. Pay attention. Keep your Bibles open. Follow, follow, the, follow the logic. Listen up. Verse 1. Hear this, all peoples. Give ye all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I'll incline my ear to a proverb. I'll solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. This wisdom I've got for you today, it's, a, it's in a proverb. It's in a riddle, a, a parable. The word proverb there in verse 4, that's the word marshal in Hebrew or parabole in Greek. It's parable. And, and what a parable is... I don't know whether you've thought much about parables. Parables, most people think of as nice illustrations, nice stories that make a point clearer, easier to understand. But it can't be that. See verse 4? Even in verse 4, it says it's a riddle. And even in verse 4, he's got to solve it for us. So it can't be, can't be something that's making it easy to understand. He's got to solve it for us. The, what, what parables are are hard sayings, dark sayings, hard sayings that require you to think about them, hard sayings that require you to ask further. And so when Jesus tells his disciples in Mark 7, 7, 15, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person, that's what defile him. The disciples had to ask for the explanation. Because that's what you do with a parable. You have to ask for someone to explain it to you. And verse 17, and when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. See, the essence of a parable is not the story. The essence of the parable is not making things clearer. The essence of a parable is, is a challenge, it is, is a confrontation to the hearer. Remember the parable that God gave Nathan to give David? You know when David had committed adultery with Bathsheba? 2 Samuel 12, the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came and said to him, 2 Samuel 12, there were two men in a city, in a certain city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man, he had many flocks and herds, but the poor man, he had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. And he brought it up and he grew up with him and with his children and it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms and it was like a daughter to him. Now there was a traveller, there, there came a traveller to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's land and he prepared it for the man who had come. Then David, in his anger, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no beauty. Nathan said to David, You are that man. You are the man. 
See, this is a parable. This is not just giving David nice information. It's confronting David. It's not just saying, hey, David, here's something interesting for you. It's poking at him. It's challenging him. It's rebuking. It's So are you ready for this psalmist challenge? Hear this, all of you. Hear this riddle. Listen to it. Let me tell you the riddle, verse 5 and 6. Why should I fear when, when, evil's day, when evil days come, when the wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? But, but what's the riddle? Why is that a riddle? What's the puzzle about that? It's because in evil days, uh, with the rich with those trusting in their riches, there is much to fear. What, what do the poor have to fear from the rich? Well, let me ask you the question. In that parable that Nathan gave to King David, you know, that poor man with his one little ewe lamb, what did, what did that poor man have to fear from his rich kingly neighbour? What did he have to fear? Well, maybe that kingly neighbour could could take his one new lamb. Maybe that, that, that rich neighbour could take his wife. Maybe that neighbour could arrange for him to be killed. Maybe he could pay for the cover-up so that no one would find out. See, that's what the rich can do, can't they? You know, still today, the, you get the Harvey Weinsteins in the Hollywood scene or the, the rich former Malaysian prime ministers. But, they can buy, they can steal the millions from their countrymen. Yet, but they can afford the lawyers, the courts, to delay the trials, to silence their accusers. It's still the same today. And when I was growing up in Sydney, uh, it was the rich casino owners that could afford the buses to send to the poorer areas, the poorer suburbs of, of Sydney to, to grab the to grab the, the gamblers into their casino, c casinos. I mean, what's a poor family matter? What, what's the disaster that gambling creates? What, what's that matter to, to the profits that I can create for the casino? It's the same in Sydney, it's the same all over the world, it's the same in history. You ever watch that, um, that film Amazing Grace? You know, the one about the slave trade and um, well, why did it take so long to stop that trade, to stop those poor slaves from being taken from Africa, bound in ships, locked up, killed on the way? Why did it take so long for them to be freed, for the leg legislation to be passed? Well, it, it was the rich sugar barons, the plantation owners. Well, what are we going to do when we don't have our slaves? Uh, they owned the politicians who owned the law. See, there is much to fear from the rich. And why is it that our world so fears China? China that's buying up all the farms and the land and the resources of especially the poorer countries. China who's now, through its Belt and Roads Initiative, buying up the roads and infrastructure of, of the world and, and, and owning more and more of the, the world's rare earth minerals. Why is it that we fear China? It's this passage. And it's not, just, it's not just the fear of the rich's power or their control over resources. It, it's, it's the boast. See verse 6? 
those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches. Often that boasting is unintentional, it's unconscious. It's just how the rich live. They can talk about giving their kids, I was speaking to someone, they were talking about giving their kids, oh, you choose where you want to go around the world this year. You know, we've already done Europe. What do you want to do? You want to go to the US? Well, that's great. Our Heavenly Father has provided so richly for them. That's fantastic. But what does the poor man say? How does the poor man join that conversation? And, and the rich, they can talk about riding their cycles around to Shelley and, uh, and the poor. They've got cycles. And, and they can talk about relaxing on this, in this holiday period, but, but we're not the ones working and grabbing every shift that we can just to make a living. But, but that's the riddle of verse 5. See, why should I fear, verse 5? Well, he's got lots to fear from the rich. But verse 5 is not a question. It's a rhetorical question. He's saying, he's saying, what have I got to fear from the rich? He's saying, why would I fear China? Why would I fear my jet-setting neighbours? There's nothing to fear. That's verse 5. That's the riddle. How can he say that? How can this poor man not fear the rich? Get the riddle? That's what he's going to solve for us. And in verses 7 to 12... He gives the first part of his answer. And the first part of his answer is death. His solution is death. See, why doesn't this psalmist fear? Because, verses 7 and 9, no matter how rich you get, no matter how rich you are, you can't buy your way out of death. It's too expensive, too costly. Verse 7, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and cannot suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. They just can't afford it. They're trying their darndest to do it with their transplants or their plastic surgery or even a thing called crypto preservation. That's where they're trying to freeze their bodies in order to, um, in order to make sure that they might have a chance to live again. Uh, but they can't do it. No man... No man can ransom, it's too costly. And verse 10, all, all alike will die, whether you're wise or whether you're foolish, all alike will perish. To us, it sort of matters the sort of kinds of schools that our kids get into or the kinds of universities or the kinds of degrees and masters or PhDs we have, the, the kinds of school zones we live in for our houses, but what does it matter, all our worldly distinctions? See verse 10? The wise and the fool alike must perish. What does it matter? Death is that, death is that great equaliser of all of us. But we're not all born equal. No, some of us are born into wealth, into intelligence. Others are born into the slums. We're not all born equal. But as we get older, as we, as we die, we, we all die equal. The wise... The stupid alike, we all die equal. And then we leave our wealth to others. And verses 11 to 12, like, who knows what the others will do without, without what we've worked hard for. And he, he, he doesn't fear because though they have lands named after them, see the next verse? Though they have lands named after them, 
though they have universities named after them, the only thing they end, they end up with is their grave. You think of the Curtins or the Murdochs, and the only thing they own now is, is their grave. See, in the end, man in his pomp, verse 12, will not remain. The phrase will not remain in verse 12 is the idea of having no lodging, of having no place to stay, nowhere to go before, beyond the grave. And in the end, verse 12, we are no different from the animals that perish. That, my friend, is really where the materialism of our society, the, the practical atheism of our society leaves us. If, if all there is to life is chasing the bargains, if all there is to life is chasing the wave, then this is where we end up. We are no different from the animals that perish. They, they are born, they grow, they reproduce and they die. We are born, we grow, we reproduce and we die. It's the same. I said this was a gear change. But this wisdom in this psalm, the wis and the wisdom in the Bible is actually found in death. So, so if you want wisdom, don't go to the sails, don't go to the beaches, go to the cemetery. That's where, that's where wisdom is found. Don't go watching grand designs and, and those grand designed houses. Look at those once grand 1960s, 1970s houses that are now being demolished to make way for version 2019. Look at those houses that are being demolished. They were once the dreams and aspirations of a whole generation. There you go. I was talking to a Christian the other day after church and um, somehow we got onto the fact about talking about how he's taking a lot of holidays and at the moment and, um, and, he said, and he said to me in a sort of reflective moment, he said, you know, I busted my back uh, when I, early this year and um, I was laid low in bed, couldn't spend time with the kids and, and I realised when I was sort of laid low that my, my mother, she, she died when she was 60 and, and for me, he said, that's only 10, 14 years away. That's a decade away. We've just passed a decade. That's a decade away. And so why is he busting his guts to do that? And so he had learnt wisdom. He had reflected on death. Because that's where God teaches us wisdom. See Psalm 90? Teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. See where wisdom's learnt? It's in numbering our days. When, when I was young, looking at my dad at a funeral, not knowing what to do, seeing my dad's dead body and reflecting on it, you, you learn wisdom. You, you learn, you got look, one, one shot at this, kid. You get one shot at life and that's where you end up. And you learn wisdom. Ecclesiastes 7, 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. But the heart of the fool is in the house of mirth. Hard to learn wisdom in this holiday season. But that's where you learn it, in the house of mourning, in this, in this psalm. But it's more. Death is only the first part of his answer. See, why not fear the rich? It's not just death. See verses 13 to 20? 
we're introduced to a far, far greater answer. The answer starts with, with death still, yes, verses, verses 13 and 20, it's still death. So verses 13 addresses the fool. They go on ignoring that answer. They go on ignoring with foolish confidence that they are appointed for death, that death will be their shepherd. See verse 13? Death here, when we think of shepherds, we, we think of like the Lord is my shepherd and we think of a, a nice shepherd who will protect and provide for their sheep, leading their sheep to quiet waters, um, making them lie down and so on. But what do you think shepherds back, back, back then, without the coals or the woolies, what do you think shepherds back then ate? What do you think shepherds, I take it, they're sheep. And, and death here is, is, is pictured as a carnivorous shepherd consuming his sheep, consuming their form, verse 14, in Sheol. Sorry to a few of you of shepherds. With the rich, why not fear? Because the rich, the powerful, they can bribe the shepherds, they can bribe the judges and delay the trials, but they can't bribe death. They can't bribe this shepherd. But, but the rich, they're not even thinking about bribing the shepherd. They're too busy increasing the glory of their houses. Uh, in verse 16, see verse 16? Increasing the glory of their houses. I saw a bit um, of grand design recently uh, as we were chilling out in front of the TV and um, this, this grand designs was um, not the usual grand designs where they were looking at one house build. They were looking at 20 or so house houses, the 20 or so shortlisted houses for the uh, UK RIB House of the Year Award, uh, award awarded for excellence in design and innovation. And um, uh, in it, there's all these people and... Uh, and one couple in London had been arguing in the courts, in the high courts, for seven years just to get their plans approved through their neighbours. Seven years arguing in the courts, in the high court, just to get their plans approved. And whoever knows how long they took to build it. But that's foolishness. See verse 17? It's madness. For when he dies, he carries nothing away. His glory will not go after him. It's, it's foolishness. They, they, they can count themselves blessed. Now they're in their dream house. They'll, they'll get all the praise uh, if they win the House of the Year award. But in the end, the only light, verse 19, the only light they'll see is, is darkness. They'll, they'll never see the light again. They'll be in their tombs. See, see, why, this, why, see why this poor man doesn't fear the rich? But it's more, because in verse 15, we come to one of the greatest verses in the Old Testament, one of the greatest lights in the Old Testament. It starts in verse 7. See, in verse 7, no, no one, no man can buy their way out of death. It's too costly, too much. You and me, we're all under the same death trap. We're all under the same death penalty. We can't ransom ourselves, let alone anyone else. See verse 7, truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. But here's the great news in verse 15. But, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol 
for he will receive me. See, what man cannot do, what we cannot do, God can. What is impossible for man is possible with God. And that's great news. And it's not only that God can hear, this psalmist is sure God will. Verse 15, God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. And not only that, we Christians know not only that God can or God will, but God has ransomed us. He has ransomed us from death. Redemption is not only possible, redemption has been achieved. God will because God has, and God has because God can afford to pay the bill. He's not in the death trap. He's rich enough to pay. Because because it was not with silver or gold that God ransomed us to be to be with his son. 1 Peter 7. 1 Peter 1. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. See how God could afford to pay? He could afford to pay because of the precious blood of Christ, a lamb who came not to be served, but serving. He came giving, giving his life to do the will of his father. Can you imagine how pleasing that blameless, spotless lamb was to God? He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Jesus was not under the death trap. Jesus was outside the death penalty that we're all in, so he could afford to pay our death penalty. Because Jesus' life was so pleasing to God, he could turn away God's anger that was on me and ransom me out of the death penalty. This psalmist, he may not have known how God was going to do it, but he was sure God was going to do it. But God will redeem my life in the grave. He'll surely take me to himself. And what's the implication of all this? What, what, What does all this mean? What difference does this make? Well, it's massive. It's stark. If you understand it, it's massive. See... You see in the difference between verse 12 and verse 20. Verse 12 says, Man in his pomp will not remain. He's like the beast that perish. But in verse 20, there's a twist. It's not man in his pomp. It's man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perish. See, without this understanding, you're you're no different from the beast. They're born... They, they grow, they die. We're born, we grow, we die. We're no different. The man without understanding is no different from the beast that perish. But with this understanding, with this riddle, this understanding of this riddle, with this understanding of death, then the poor, well, what do they have to fear from the rich? And the rich, well, what do they have to boast in? And, and with this understanding that God will ransom my soul from Sheol, with that understanding that God has already ransomed me by the precious blood of his son, then, then 
then how much are you worth to God? How valuable are you to God? Well, how valuable was the precious blood of the one blameless, spotless life of Jesus? Do you know how, do you know how valuable you are to God? It's not a value that comes from the changing markets of this world. It's a value that comes from God. It's an infinite value. And so do you see the difference between the beast and the man with understanding? The difference is, is there's just you can't compare the two. And knowing the price that God has paid to buy you, to ransom you, what difference does that make to how you live? What, what difference does it make to the here and now? Well, you hear it in the Apostle Paul and in his life in that 2 Corinthians passage, 2 Corinthians 5. He has the confidence of one who has been redeemed. He has the confidence of one who has been ransomed, who has a place to stay, who has a lodging after death. He's got a building from God, eternal in the heavens. He doesn't leave that behind. See, for we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, our bodies is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not on grand designs, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, we long to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For, for while we're still in this tent we groan, burdened, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we'd be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us his spirit as a guarantee. See, the beast, that will not remain. The man without understanding, he will not remain. But this man, who has been ransomed from death, has a building, eternal in heaven, and what difference does it make? What difference does it make to life? Well, he's not busy increasing the glory of his houses. He's not boasting of his riches. He's busy pleasing the Lord. See verse 6, next verse. So we have always of good courage, verse 6. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Verse 9. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. See the difference? It's this understanding that makes all the difference. There's a song, there's a song you, you hear now and again on the radio and every time I hear it, it haunts me. And apparently when the writer, when the writer sang that song live once, he said, this is about my son Josh, and he said, frankly, this song scares me to death. Can I play it for you? So we can't play this track for you due to copyright reasons, but have a listen to Harry Chapin's Cats in the Cradle on YouTube and come back to us when you're finished. That song is a parable. That song is a goad. You see a goad? The goad's a definition there. A pointed stick used for making cows move forward. 
It's a provocation, something to annoy, to stimulate action. That song's a goad. It's, it's there to annoy you. It's there to poke at you. It's meant to scare you to death if you're a dad. It's meant to haunt you because the chorus quickly changes from when are you coming home, dad? I don't know when, to when are you coming home, son? I don't know when, but we'll get together then. We're going to have a good time then. And there's the goad. I'm going to be like you, Dad. I'm going to be like you, Dad. Just like you. Goad, goad, goad. This psalm, this psalm also has a goad. This parable is also a goad. It can't just be nice information for your Sunday morning. It's a goad, brothers. It's goading you not just about your son. It's goading you about your life. What's your life worth? What's your life about? Are you any different from the beast that will perish? Hear the chorus again. Hear the goad of this psalm. Verse 12. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beast that will perish. Verse 20. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, without the understanding that God will ransom my life, without the understanding that Jesus has ransomed my life by his death. Man in his pomp, yet without that understanding, is like the beast that perish. Absolutely no different. And you see them everywhere. Should I pray? Should I pray? Father God, wisdom cries out. And uh, Father, we do pray for the wisdom that comes from your mouth. I uh, pray that your spirit will impart it to us, that we might listen to this psalmist goad, that we might pay attention to this riddle about life and death and about the tremendous cost that you paid for our lives to mean something, to matter for something. Would you pray, Father, for that? And we pray in Jesus' name.